up next on the Common Free Podcast in collaboration with the World Happiness Fest, Dr. Lobshong Neji, the Executive Director of the Center for Contemplative Science and Compassion-Based Ethics at Emory University. Compassion is a necessity today because at the heart of the compassion, it has to do with a sense of meaningful connection, a warm-hearted, tender connection with each other. You're listening to the Calm and Free Podcast with your host, Pooja Model. In this podcast, we deliver timeless wisdom to help you calmly pursue your greatest self and a life of meaning in an ever-changing, fast-paced world. Welcome to the Calm and Free Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Lobshan Neji, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Contemplative Science and Compassion-Based Ethics at Emory University. Over the past two decades, Professor Neji has been a pioneer of compassion training programs and has contributed to the development of compassion science through his research. He oversees the Social, Emotional, and Ethical Learning Program, an academic collaboration that began in 1998 between Emory University and His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Dr. Neji shares how compassion is linked to safety and that at the heart of compassion is a sense of meaningful, tender connection with each other, which creates a sense of security and trust, happiness and love unmet needs in today's fast-moving world. If you've been enjoying these episodes, please text today's episode to a friend and tell them to subscribe. And please consider attending the World Happiness Fest, taking place virtually and in person in Spain, starting March 17th, where you will be joined by thousands of others who are realizing the future of happiness. Visit their website at worldhappiness.foundation. And I want to start by you began this journey a long time ago. You were born in a small kingdom in the Himalayas. And at the age of 14, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, under his direction, asked for you to go to a monastery in India. And since then, your work has been an extension of His Holiness, his teachings and his ideas. And I want to read you a quote from him. Compassion is a necessity, not a luxury. Humanity cannot survive without it. How profound. And, you know, there's this idea that meditation and Buddhism, those two are very clearly linked in Western culture, which is more of a Zen Buddhist tradition. The Tibetan Buddhist tradition has a lot to do with this idea of compassion. So I want to start by having you tell us perhaps the history behind why compassion is a main focus for His Holiness. Thank you, Pujaji, for having me. Uh, and uh, it's uh, such an honor to have this conversation. Um, as you quoted His Holiness uh, by saying that uh, compassion is a necessity, not a luxury, you know, without which humanity cannot survive. It truly is uh, the case, you know, that it has become very clear uh, that as 
social beings you know we are social beings we are we live in the group we have to work together and uh, particularly as our world today has become you know even smaller that we uh, occupy spaces with multiple uh, backgrounds uh, the racial backgrounds religious background socioeconomic backgrounds and like that compassion is a necessity today because at the heart of the compassion it has to do with uh, a sense of meaningful connection a warm-hearted tender connection with each other and that sense of connection is so crucial for us because it is that warm-hearted connection that provides us a sense of safety sense of security if we are around the people where we feel a certain sense of connection and warmth it's the that warm-hearted feeling towards each other that also is at the heart of cooperation we respond to others needs we see their needs differently if you know there are someone that we feel tenderly we feel you know uh, with a certain warm-hearted feeling it promotes our uh, cooperation it uh, through which it promotes trust and, and these are very fundamental values that we need in our society today because we're seeing that you know modern world that we live in despite tremendous progress that we have made in the material world and uh, with that comes you know many of the conveniences that we are uh, certainly yes. you know a majority of people on this world are enjoying you know the, including good health in the sense that they are the medicine has advanced and with that comes our longevity and the you know many of the illnesses uh, that we have a medicine to treat with even like the, in this pandemic that we are it, it this is really horrific uh imagine that if this happened 200 300 years ago you know but at the if, if if the mobility that we have today you know was there and uh, if the population is as large as today you can imagine that how how much you know more lethal and how much more devastation this would have created but uh, because of the the science uh, and the technology to it, the vaccine that has been created quite, uh, you know, quickly. Uh, and with that, you know, many uh, of the people's lives are saved. Uh, certainly, it's still continuing. But you can see that despite the tremendous progress that we have made in the material world and science in the technology and the material world uh, as human beings our emotional well-being our sense of well-being our sense of flourishing is actually it hasn't uh you know Change. increased uh it, it hasn't kind of gone you know together with that material progress if anything that we are seeing much more uh, you know, increase in mental health issues. Uh, and uh, so, the, so we have to ask, you know, the, what is missing? I think 
the answer is that we have neglected these inner human values, the very human element. Uh, well, while we focus on the external development, which is important, but have neglected the inner development. And now, uh, thanks to many people, I mean, including His Holiness the Dalai Lama, you know, who has for last 30, 40 years, uh, has really kind of devoted his life to promote basic human values like kindness, compassion, you know, that how to understand our emotional life, what tools are there to enhance emotional well-being and, uh, you know, and thereby our uh, not only personal health, but our social well-being, our interaction with others. So compassion uh, is a very important element in that, you know, not only compassion towards others, but compassion for ourselves as well. Yes. You know, there's a lot of the people today, particularly in uh, the advanced, you know, world, more uh, materially advanced culture, uh, and particularly in the high achieving population, you, you see that a lot of uh, people struggle with sense of inadequacies, self-blame, you know, self-criticism. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, it takes a toll on people. So compassion for ourselves and uh, compassion for others, for our personal well-being, but also our, you know, interpersonal well-being. I think the compassion yes. is so important. Yes, I love your insight about the self inadequacy, this mm. idea that we don't feel like we're enough. You know, I talk about it in terms of self-worth, mm -hmm. chasing this idea that the more material wealth, reputational success, influence we obtain, then we will feel full. But the idea really is that we should be full as we are. Exactly. I think you know, it comes down to our sense of fulfillment, happiness, you know, satisfaction. This is an internal, uh, you know, it has to do with our internal uh, worldview perspectives. So yeah. the seeking happiness, just solely on external achievement uh, will have its limitations because first of all, you know, when you we seek the inner sense of fulfillment and happiness in the external uh, material accomplishments or you know the fame and the name and so forth, uh, without a certain degree of inner contentment this the goals the goal post will keep kind of you know moving, moving you know yes and then the, no matter how much we accomplish we will if we compare with others and then the all our expectations you know goals are unrealistic yes. then we will always feel that we are falling short and yes. that is what uh creates an inner uh, frustration, if will, 
you know that uh, and um, on the one hand that this can lead to uh, a nasty sense of competitions and like that uh, which in turn then ruin our relationship and then to, uh, our own well-being but on the other hand when we feel that despite our efforts we are not uh, achieving you know we're not getting where we want to be with our lives are not perfect you know then uh, we turn inwards with that self-blame and the feeling i'm not good enough and the, you know really hurting our self-esteem and self-worth yes. uh, and the, uh, that's why i think that the self-compassion uh, is an inner work you know that uh, yeah. if we see the worth in our being human you know that nobody is perfect yes but uh, uh, you know we, we are not exception to that but uh, at the same time you know we're not only mistakes or the certain failure uh, life is much more than a few uh, mistakes and uh, failure you know there's so much to appreciate in life it reminds me of a conversation that His Holiness the Dalai Lama had with the uh, Dr. Aaron Beck, you know, the father or the, mm. the, the founder of cognitive uh, behavioral psychology. Uh, in that conversation, uh, Dr. Aaron Beck, uh, picking on His Holiness's uh, insight that about when we have, when we deal with our own emotional problems and like that, we need to bring this broader perspective, you know, to, and he talks about how once he had a physicist come to his uh, therapy session uh, who had uh, expected that he would win Nobel Prize uh, in physics that year, but uh, for some reason he did not get uh, and uh, he was devastated just really crushed and uh, depressed so he showed up at his <clears throat> you know therapy session um, and uh, uh, Aaron Bex talks about how you know when he asked him how important this Nobel Prize for you was and he said that it was 100% important you know that that it was 100% it's that that's all that mattered in, in that sense you can imagine that if something is 100% important and where you you don't have that then you would feel a loser you know yeah. that, uh, and uh, uh, in that emotional state as it's kind of the vision narrows then what is left is that I'm a failure you know I'm not yes. no good I'm a failure that we reduce ourselves to a failure, you know, that oh, it's some shortcoming. But uh, Dr. Beck, uh, you know, it's with his brilliant uh, uh, skills, he asked him that, you know, what else, you know, you have in life, you know, how, how important is your wife? And then he, as he, you know, thinks about, then he realized that, yeah, you know, she's important. I mean, the 20%, you know, he says that, what about your children? Do you have any children? He says that I have three children. How important are they? 
at first he says 40 percent you know but then he thinks a little bit more that he really realizes that you know how precious they are you know that uh, here is a moment to spend time to be with them to, and that he realizes that they are actually 80 85 percent or 80 or 85 percent important and like that and uh, uh, Dr. Beck says that uh, he left that session with normal being depressed, you know, like because his life, you know, he he saw his life is more than what he did not get, you know, there's so much in life. So making visible what we have, things that we yes. appreciate, our strengths and the things that are going well, uh, we can't. Uh, you know, have a more of a kind of holistic sense of us as a human being. I love your um, talking about really is reframing, you know, having a different lens yeah. that, that we use to assess the worthiness and success of us as humans, which is not an easy task given that culture and societal cues environment create that idea in us. And we have to have not only the awareness, but the fortitude to define ourselves differently. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. I'd love to talk about CBCT, cognitive-based um, compassion training. We all as humans have the capacity for compassion. Can we discuss the difference, please, between traditional Tibetan Buddhist mind training and Western-based cognitive practices. The blend of those two has now created this regime, this program. Could you tell us the differences between these two? Um, certainly. Both what is referred to as Lojong, or the mind training tradition, in Indo-Tibetan Buddhist tradition, actually this evolved in India, in the ancient India and the Buddhism went to Tibet from India. So in Tibet, uh, for the last 1300 years or so, uh, well, uh, until 1959, let's say that before the invasion of Tibet by the, uh, the communist Chinese, uh, you know, Tibet really was a place where this ancient Indian knowledge it flourished, you know, that uh, um, hundreds of texts were translated. Many great masters from India, like the Kamala Shila, Shantarakshita, uh, Atisha, and so forth. Many of those uh, you know, masters who uh, went to Tibet to disseminate these teachings. And the Tibetans, translators, translating all that material into uh, Tibetan and the big monastic universities that were founded and then where this culture, you know, the spiritual culture really flourished and then was uh, sustained uh, for over millennia in Tibet. Uh, and uh, what, what evolved in India also, you know, from, since the time of the Buddha 2,500 years ago. Uh, and uh, the heart of the, the uh, 
lojong or that is mind training it has to do with understanding our mind and emotions and how to uh, transform those aspects of our mind emotions that are unhealthy that can be uh, detrimental you know of course all emotions have their place in our evolution in our well-being there to fear anger sadness and so forth but uh, you know some of these emotions if they uh, grow out of proportion if they uh, become you know unadaptive then uh, that's where that we 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 uh, uh see that how they take toll on our health phys- physical mental emotional health and our relationship and our work uh, how productive we are so uh because the lojong tradition its central focus is to very you know systematically look within and it's it's like the uh, you know experiment in a sense observation a close observation of what trigger our emotions how in what conditions promote this under what conditions we can change what are the strategies the cognitive you know strategies that you can use what are the social or environmental you know conditions that that uh, uh, can help in the you know either triggering unhealthy or the healthy emotions and like that so therefore from that perspective if you just take you know the heart of the mind training it's actually very much uh, uh scientific you know that uh, when you see today the cognitive regulation of, of emotions for example you know that the cognitive psychologists uh who uh Uh, understand emotion within this what this what may be called the process model of emotions you know that how what kind of conditions uh, are conducive to certain emotions you know the environment and like that and then the emotion what kind of condition give rise to emotions like fear anger you know the anxious anxiousness and the agitations and so forth and then you know understanding that how they uh, gain strength if uh, in other mm-hmm. words what impact it has on health it's very very similar that i just said this three cognitive strategies that cognitive psychologists use today one what is called the attention deployment other mm-hmm. sometimes called the distraction that it is basically has to do with how do we apply our attention to regulate our emotions and the body for example let's say when a little child is in distress because of some pain or the maybe hunger you know the she or she is hungry or something is bothering and then you know child is crying and the parents they they, they don't know what's going on uh, but obviously child's attention is uh you know pulled to whatever is causing that pain or the distress parents have to uh, try to disengage child's attention from what is causing that pain or the irritation to something that is soothing you know that maybe giving it nice 
touch and hug, holding it, you know, like that, that warm touch, when a child's attention go to that warm feeling, it, it brings child's attention away from what is distressing. And that can help, you know, soothe, c- comfort. Or if that doesn't work, that sometimes that uh, parents may ask children to, you know, that, oh, look at this, you know, something interesting that they point to maybe a bird or some kind of the colors or the, some something that might be interesting or make some noise or maybe make, you know, some expression of the facial expression. And the child, if that is interesting, child's attention go there uh, and it's not stuck with something that is causing pain. And you can think of that if child's brain is on fire, you know, with that, uh, with whatever is irritating, you know, that uh, by bringing attention to something interesting, something comforting, something soothing, it literally calms down that brain on the fire, you know, that so if you sustain child's attention long enough with that interesting thing, then the, the since the child's brain, you know, will uh, brain that is activated, you know, there's distress kind of uh, circuits of the brain that is calmed. And then the child, the child will go on playing or eating or they're studying or whatever. It becomes regulated, mind and body. That that's the, the strategy you find, you know, what with uh, in the practices of attention, the attention training, for example. So often people talk about, you know, uh, how to cultivate our attention to be more in present, you know, that. Uh, yes. Uh, and then the second strategy that they did use is what uh, they refer to as uh, self-distancing. It's basically, it's uh, if something is causing uh, distress uh, to us, it has to do with, as Paul Ekman, you know, the, the expert in emotions, uh, he talks about the events do not literally trigger emotions. It's our appraisal. You know, how we mm-hmm. interpret, that's what, you know, make those as a tr- kind of yeah. trigger our emotions. So that being the case, certain events, whether it's a person or our own some pain or the noticing some lump or this, you know, or imagine the, uh, anticipating something happening in the future, we are so quick to judge, you know, that well, this is really good, this is bad, what else might happen and, you know, all that projection, psychological projection, yes. the judging that happens, it little spark of emotion, of fear, or this, you know, uh, agitation, it can become big forest fire, you know, that with those winds of projections or the judging. Yes. So self-distancing has to do with by bringing awareness to those feelings, those mm-hmm. uh, impulses yes. uh, or the perception, and to be able to, you know, acknowledge or witness by stepping back, so to speak, kind of disengaging our projection or judging, just witnessing, acknowledge and letting it come and go. That's it. Uh, and the research you know, in this field is strong that how it helps with all kinds of conditions you know, that, that uh, we are struggling today. And the third uh, strategy is what they call the reappraisal. And that's what uh, earlier, what Aaron Beck was doing, that's reframing, you know, like that uh, any certain events that we 
uh, encounter, whether it's someone's criticism or the, the some anticipation of something outcome in the future or the some goals and so forth that we are pursuing that did not come. If we uh, appraise, you know, that in the terms of that, that this was something that was uh, negative for us, something that is, uh, you know, a threat to us or to, uh, but rather, if we can bring that broader perspective to change the meaning of that situation, then it changes our feelings, our emotions. Yes. Uh, and that's what the cognitively-based compassion training uh, utilizes these three um, kind of strategies that are, you know, at the heart of this lojong, the mind training tradition in this ancient Indo-Tibetan um, mind training traditions and the modern scientific, you know, uh, insights and the research yes. uh, also, uh, you know, uh, show that how our mind works. So in that sense, you know, these strategies, both in Buddhism and science, just basically kind of paying attention, observing and understanding from observation. You brought up a word safety. And that idea of safety, I find, is such a profound word to use in this context, because it really does make people feel that they can't give that tenderness when they don't feel safe. And in a world that we live in today, that is very competitive, as you talked about, where we're more disconnected than, than um, we should be, it's hard to extend tenderness and softness and love and warmth when we ourselves don't feel safe. Uh, so, the, so you know, the practices that we're talking about, all of this um, is in hope of, of creating more of that idea intellectually. My, my last question that I'd like to talk about is, um, again, alluding back to our discussion about uh, the material gains we've made in humanity, but at the expense of an education that has to do with the heart. We've been very directed and focused towards an education of the mind to help us obtain these material needs and wants at the neglect of education of the heart. And His Holiness has asked for a spiritual revolution the promotion of basic human values and an education of the heart. And this has become sea learning, a universal non-sectarian approach to um, a whole child education. And I, I love this. I love that it's an extension of traditional uh, social emotional learning, which my own kids mm -hmm. have in their school. Wonderful. And this is, yes. And, and um, I put them in this school because of that. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like this is the most important foundation for education for K through 12 in our time. Anyone can learn math, anyone can learn to read, but how do we solidify this ability to connect and interact with each other in kindness, in empathy and compassion? I'd love for you to share what you're doing with C learning and what Thank your you. ho hope is for it. Thank you for that uh, 
the, the opportunity to say a little bit about the sea learning. Um, and you're right, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, he very much realizes that modern education, you know, needs to incorporate the education of the heart. You know, while training for our brain or the intellect, we need to train our heart as well. So when we think, when it comes to training the heart, you know, that being more compassionate, kind, you know, more cooperative, more uh, helpful towards others. Uh, you know, it, it's, as you mentioned in the brief before this question that, uh, you know, if we ourselves are struggling emotionally, if we as ourselves are empty, you know, what we can't, we don't have nothing, anything to give to others. You know? So that's why I think that uh, the, uh, this spiritual revolution, if you will, at, about uh, in education to incorporate the education of those, the, the heart, it really uh, involves self-regulation, very important, you know, that, that has to do with our emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. If we are not aware of our emotion, if we are not uh, aware of how emotions arise or that at least have tools to regulate our emotions then you know any little emotional uh, feelings that they experience they, they can uh, be overblown and then it can really impact our life we are social beings also that you know our emotions impact our relationship with others yes. if i'm irritated with someone the, for their little mistake or just the, they, they're not including me in a certain you know play or the you know or so forth or, or you know just someone else's success and like that if i'm troubled by that and then the, it is going to not only impact my own health emotional and physical health but also it's going to affect my relationship with others yeah. and uh, we are social beings you know, our being, um, uh, our success and well-being very much is uh, dependent on our uh, social life, you know, that as, as social beings. So uh, social intelligence, in a bit, that how we uh, feel about others, how we respond to others, feelings and needs and so forth, our other success and uh, challenges and so forth. It has a lot to do with our own well-being and uh, you know, uh, as well. And then, the, the, you know, thirdly, how we respond to situations in life, whether people or other people, you know, that when it comes to ethics, it has to do with how we react or respond to people, to situations, you know, like that. Uh, are certain of our uh, physical, verbal, or even kind of attitudinal attitudes and like that, uh, are such that they kind of complicate our relationship with others? Or, you know, uh, what kind of 
behavior, what kind of actions that uh, would actually create more of harmony and understanding and peace and like that. You know, so it goes right into that. We, do, we may think of this as decision making, you know, the how do we yes. respond, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, ethical you know, uh, discernment, you know, ethical kind of competency has to do with how do we respond. So social, emotional and ethical learning is uh, like the CBCD, it's a, it takes a comprehensive approach to promoting the well-being at the personal level, you know, by extension around, you know, oneself in that interpersonal level. And then towards also the larger community or the world, you know, because we are part of the human community. So, so in that, that lens of interdependence, you know, when it connects with us with larger number of beings that promoting the sense of connection and warmth that obviously their well-being would be important their struggles will matter so therefore how do we uh, you know engage in ways that at least we are not contributing to the problem yes. or at uh, if possible contributing to the solution you yes. know, like that so like let's take for example global warming you know, if uh, I am so lost with my own emotional struggle, I'm not going to have the bandwidth to really yes. see others, you know, their needs and so forth. So I need to regulate my emotions, you know, that self-regulation, that bringing, regulating my you know, emotions becomes the important, but what Daniel Goldman calls the inner focus, you know, bringing kind of the focus on our personal emotional feelings that, and then to learning how to regulate them. With that then comes this other focus, you know, that, that when I am, as you mentioned earlier, that how the sense of safety, security is so important, you know, that we are living beings, any living being, when well, for us, life is precious to live. We want to live a day longer and, the, you know, like that. Uh, when it is threatened, that's where that uh, we to, our vision, you know, shrinks. You know, that, we, we, that self-absorption that when it becomes, it narrows. So when we feel a certain sense of safety, security, then we can explore. We're not. We don't shrink in a corner, in you know, our psychological corner, but rather with, uh, you know, after that openness, there's a creativity. There's, uh, you know, the curiosity, and that there's, uh, you know, seeing others. A, a child can learn better. Can you know explore, um, you know, surrounding better, and then just interact with others and see others' needs and so forth. So that's where the other focus has to, with if. We are somewhat regulated, our bodies and minds, and feel safer. We have much better uh, opportunity to see other needs and then have the meaningful interaction. Now, if you know, I am able to kind of, you know, extend, kind of establish that a meaningful connection with a larger number of people, you know, whether they are like me or not by seeing that they are on, on a deeper level, we are all, 
you know, s similar, that wanting to be happy, mm -hmm. to be free from suffering. If the, if, and then uh, interdependence that, you know, uh, seeing that interdependence, if my sense of tenderness, warmth, connectionness, connection with larger number of beings, if that uh, unfolds, then their struggles will matter to me. Their well-being will be important for me. So therefore, one of the, the ways that you can see that how, you know, at a kind of communal or the global level, you can see that uh, my actions of, let's say, uh, what I eat, you know, what uh, uh, my own consumption of whether clothing or the food or the whatever, how it is uh, impacting uh, on the environment and therefore impacting the very people that I love. I, I feel close, I feel tenderly. So protecting the environment becomes important because of your tender towards the sentient beings, you know, the living beings. So there you can see that, you know, through cultivating these inner uh, competencies, uh, we can really uh, help ourselves, our children, you know, become much more, uh, you know, complete, you know, that human beings, uh, the yeah. more uh, well-rounded, you know, that greater emotional, skills otherwise you can uh, really excel uh, in uh, certain uh, kind of technical education whether it's math or science and like that but then when you have to work with the people you know yeah. then let's say that you end up as a you know president of a company and as a president of the company that you know i'm struggling with my own kind of emotional issues, you know, that's so, uh, and uh, I will not, it, it, I'm not able to pay attention to my colleagues and the employees and they, they can, uh, see their needs and they attend to them. Then, you know, the, the, that my, my, all my kind of technical knowledge yes. uh, may not be able to, uh, you know, to give me a sense of, uh, flourishing, but also uh, it would not uh, be able to sustain you know, that work. You know that uh, if the, 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 the if everybody around you don't trust you, that don't really you know feel close to you, and then that you yourself will end up feeling very isolated. You know, like that sense of kind of isolation driving to the loneliness and the. Uh, yeah. And it, it can easily burn you out, you know. So uh, you see that sea learning by bringing the the very kind of inner tools in in the education, you know, these competencies, the technical knowledge, you know, math, science, literature, medicine, whatever we do, business, you know. The, if we are coming from a healthier, emotionally healthier place, emotionally more, you know, healthy connection with others, emotion, and the, you know, also with the greater this systems thinking, you know, the greater awareness of the, the a greater ability to see from the broader perspective, then uh, our 
you know, knowledge, our education, the technical tools that we have, we can really uh, use it to the better uh, use and uh, not only find satisfaction and fulfilling uh, for ourselves, but we can most importantly make a difference to, uh, in the world that we live for others. So it's a, I think that, yes. that that sense of making a difference, again, it's so deep in us as a mammals, as human beings. We deeply feel rewarded, you know, when we can make a difference, even in one person. You yeah. know, like it's someone struggling that if you are able to extend help, just the other person, you know, the smile on other person, a certain degree of comfort uh, like that, that has our biologically, you know, this, uh, we have this disposition that in such situation, it brings a great sense of fulfillment and joy, you know, so yes, I think it can make uh, personal lives better, but uh, eventually, you know, the more collectively, it can make the world better. So as the scientists said that if the, you know, uh, if the conditions uh, remain, you know, if we don't end up destroying kind of the raising the global warming and all the you know, killing ourselves and wiping, this earth uh, can sustain life for another billion years. It's a long time. So we have to, you know, pay attention to what kind of, future beings that we will yes. be. Yes. So beautifully said, Professor Neji, this has been a beautiful conversation. And I can't be more aligned with you about the education being the vehicle for not only inward health and prosperity, but the health and prosperity and well-being of humanity and ecology. It really starts with with this education of the heart and see is a brilliant start to this and i hope to see it evolve grow and be implemented in schools across this country and in other countries around the world it's it's a necessary part of of education Thank you so much for ushering it and, and leading you. it. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share. And uh, this is exactly, you are right. You know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's dream is that one day the education of the heart will become, you know, as the compulsory subject as math and the literature. Yes. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And you can learn more about Dr. Neji and the C program by visiting compassion.emory.edu and following Dr. Neji on LinkedIn. In partnership with the World Happiness Festival, we'd like you to consider being a part of a global community of leaders, institutions, and individuals just like you working to realize 10 billion happy people by the year 2050. What are the barriers to happiness? How do we heal? How do we maximize our potential? How do we remember who we are? 
how can we be of service to the world? Join the World Happiness Fest, the largest forum of happiness and well-being in the world. Visit us at www.worldhappiness.foundation. We are realizing a world with freedom, consciousness, and happiness for all. Wishing you all a wonderful week ahead. Next up, we'll be talking to Australian-based scientist, Dr. Andrew Harmon, and author and speaker, Agapi Stasinopoulos, author of the new book, Speaking with Spirit. Thanks to Charlene at GoTo Productions and Jessica Panion for art design. And please share this episode with someone you love.